1: and welcome to Redefining Success, the show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their careers and lives, what makes them tick, and how they define success. I'm Dashrin Johan. Joining me on today's episode is Jonathan Toyat, who also goes by Mr Toppy. He's a video games journalist and is the content director at Kakucho Pore, which is a leading video games website in Malaysia. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Um, At as this, as this point of recording, we
0: just wrapped up covering the Game Awards 2023. Nice. We have some pretty cool Malaysians who actually were nominated as future class inspirations for that particular
1: year of the awards. So props to them, yeah. Okay, so since you brought it, brought that up, um, before we get into your life, your story, um, how are we doing? How is Malaysia doing in the in the video games um, scene, in especially when it comes to esports and and all of that.
0: It's doing good. Could be better, but I think we can see some improvements being had, especially the number of events that happen in terms of like game developers getting games nominated and awarded, given awards for not just Malaysian games, but also games of Singapore, games mm. from Vietnam and Thailand and whatnot. Having like a show's uh deck created events like Level Up KL and My DCF. So it's going in a good place. And not to toot our own horn, but we have started a TV show called Main Game. We just wrapped up our se- first season. Second season is definitely next year. Um, and this particular, this particular show actually talks about like the ins and outs of video games to a mainstream audience. So to have a TV show like that can be very helpful in telling people, the common man or woman, uh, the ones who own the TV, the 90%. I mean, because, you know, like hardcore gamers are like, what, 5% here <laughs> right, in the country? Absolutely. The 90% or 99% are the ones we want to target. So we streamline all our information and tell them that, yes, gaming is good. And sometimes it has its bad parts, but it's mostly good. The industry is there. Need to learn what's going on as well as know the genres and what's mature and what's meant for kids and adults and what's great to play. And also find out more about what Malaysia is doing in terms of like
1: creating games like with Patch Republic or Persona Theory or different companies here and they're like Metronomic. So main game is with RTM, right? That's your collaboration with RTM. Uh, that is correct. That is right. correct. So how do you define success? When you hear the, the word success, what does it mean to you? Oh, this is a very tough question for me. Um, Okay, success
0: is doing what you love, being good at it, getting paid and recognized for it, and working hard, doing all the above to maintain that. And most importantly, being happy about it. I do feel that, yes, having a billion dollars on your lap by getting lucky at the right place at the right time might be successful, might count as success in some sense, but... You know, more. You know, like that was a rapper who mentioned "more money, more problems," right? <laughs> yeah, it is true. I mean, it's not just a lyric in a song. Uh, Ice Cube or whatnot came up with. It's an actual reality. Being happy and content while being secure and living well within your means is success
1: in life. Has this always been your idea of success, or has it changed over time? It has changed. I mean, when I was a lad in high school
0: in uh, Saint John's, it's. Yeah, let's just say that I wasn't really in the right frame of mind. I was not mature, to say the least. I mean, at times, I was kind of a bully when you think about it. More right. like, hey, why is this little kid doing all, all this thing? And then I just become more reactive and whatnot. But obviously, I grew out of that shell, became a bit more refined and, and more well-mannered. And with that, my ideas of success did change over time. And also going to studying and working in different countries does help define what success means. It's not just about money, but it's about doing what you love and, you know, living, like I said, living well within your means to do that while enjoying what you do. Because when you don't enjoy what you're working on, it becomes a grind. And sometimes a grind is what makes you be like, I just want to do something else in the end. And that doesn't feel like success. It just feels like you're just a cog in the wheel. You don't want to be that cog, but at the same time, Uh, What's a better word? Um, Being a, not a cog, but more like the actual machine, the golem that runs some cogs helping you out. And of course, those cogs are going to be evolved to
1: become their own golems. (laughs) So this is a bit of a fun question I have um, because, you know, on all your bylines, you go by Mr. Toffee and that's your social media as well. Why Mr. Toffee? What's the story behind that?
0: Well, it's a very simple story because I used to go by REZ, and then I figured, why why don't I think of a more comical nickname? So if I defeat someone in a PvP game, like maybe Street Fighter, mm-hmm. like you've got your you've got your you know got beaten by a guy named Mr. like it can be a bit humiliating in some <laughs> sense. Like someone with a very goofy name. So I guess it just stuck. And right. then I would change the lettering a little bit, so the two E's at the end becomes th- uh, threes, mm-hmm. you know, two double threes in the end, and. I don't know. It's just, I was actually thinking of like Mr. Chocolate or Mr. <laughs> Turkish Delight, but I guess toffee sounded simpler. I think in retrospect, I should have just went with Jojo because of how <laughs> big the anime got over time. Because I thought Jojo's design adventure was very niche, but nope, more and more people are loving <laughs> it every single year at past five.
1: So... Now about you know the work that you do in Kakuchopore, you are the content director. What exactly does being a content director entail? Oh, it
0: just basically means you manage the content that's on the website. Mm. So every day, every week, every hour, you gotta make sure that there actually stories lined up, and at the same time, you plan ahead in terms of like your editorial calendar. You gotta make sure you know what games are coming out within that time frame and month and what's hot, finding out trends and everything and also managing the writers who are under you because at the end of the day, I cannot do everything by myself. I need people to help me out and my writers, uh, the skilled ones I find, will help me do that, accomplish that goal and it's not just writing but there's also video work and mm-hmm. audio work. I mean, yes, for now, we're doing video, I mean, I guess TV counts too, yeah. So now we've got a TV show to worry about too so that's right. content direction, making sure that it fits our style, like our feature driven style but at the same time it's something that's worthy for people to read so i just make sure that there are things that uh that are available on the website that's meaningful to read and watch and share and at the end of the day, I got to basically calculate what's going on and what's trending and what's not, what we should do by the end of the month. I mean, if the results are showing that feature A isn't doing the best compared to maybe B and C, hmm. we do more of B and C, for example. Like if let's just say a five-minute video is doing much, much better, like it gets millions of views compared to our 30-minute video, right. I have to make the call Yeah, saying that, oh, we're going to stick to doing five minute videos for now and then slowly integrate all these things into TikTok and other social media platforms. Again, this big picture stuff. But as but if you're in a small company like mine, I do also have to get my hands dirty, mm. which a lot of my team does. Like they have to do like wear many hats compared right. compared to like maybe GameSpot, where there's like a 30, 40 man team from all across the world, all around the world. Kakucho Pre itself, I think, is like run by five people. So we gotta pick our battles properly and cover what we actually know and love. So for example, if let's just say, for example, like I'm thinking thinking outside, like if no one in the team knows about football, there's no point covering football games. Yeah, so we just focus on what we like and what we are knowledgeable at. And luckily enough, some of these things are more popular than the other, like maybe RPGs or anime games. Hmm. Those are more popular in Asia compared to other areas in the States. In the, in the world, especially.
1: Right. So you mentioned something interesting, right? That, you know, as a content director, um, you sometimes have to make the tough calls. Like, you know, you may be very passionate about this 30-minute video that you guys worked on for two weeks. And then on the other hand, but, but when you all put it out, it gets X amount of views. And then there's a, maybe on the other side, you make a five-minute video. Um Maybe you're still passionate about it, but you didn't, you know, put your blood, sweat and tears, so to speak, into that video, perhaps. Um, And then it gets millions of views. How do you make that call? Um, What goes through your mind? Um, Is it painful sometimes to make these calls? Uh, Yes and no. Hmm. Um,
0: No, because I know that at the end of the day, we have to answer to shareholders and the business has to keep growing and evolving slowly, Mm. hopefully. Because sometimes the one warning signs from companies is if they tell you to scale upwards within six months, which is insane,
1: Mm.
0: honestly. But yes, it's also painful because at the end of the day, I do like making my soundscape videos or different features that don't trend well, especially when I talk about retro content. But if it doesn't do well, I have no choice but to make the tough call and saying, yes, we're going to need to focus on highlight videos here and there. And first, it goes on from there. But at the same time, I was actually... I think I had a chat with a couple of friends, a couple of... It was probably last year, before Level Up of last year, where we came to the consensus that sometimes it's okay to have this mentality where one for us and one for them. Right. So one for us is more like the passion videos, like the 30-minute um, features that I that we you and I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And one for them is mostly basically, oh, the videos that get a million views. Right. And we just do that. And plus... Having money coming in is always good, not just from YouTube, but also from different channels here and there. And it also helps that we get clients who are willing to look at our the quality of our work rather than whatever views video A or video B gets. They only care about like how we do this and how the message is interpreted. And
1: thankfully, we have clients who are understanding in that aspect. Right. So now I want to backtrack a little bit, as in um, you know, re- rewind the clock. Take me back to, you know, how do you even dream of becoming a video games journalist in a country like Malaysia? Because it is a very niche industry. Even today, it's growing. But even today, it's very niche. When you started off, it was probably even more niche. Um, How do you even envision yourself as a video games journalist? Um, Talk to me about that. I guess when I... Okay, this is actually a tricky
0: question because mm. I actually got my start in game journalism outside of Malaysia.
1: Right. Okay. Um, yeah,
0: I actually got started with uh, Dark Diamond, uh, this Society for free, mm-hmm. uh, in Canada, when I was studying in Canada and working in Canada at about 2006, six seven. And then at 2007, I arrived back in KL looking for a job because mm-hmm. I miss home and everything. Right. And there were other personal issues that I want to get to where I was looking for a job. I tried applying for Game Access in Malaysia. Then they didn't get back to me. So I applied for the Singapore Game Access. Right. The, the, basically the HQ. La, mm-hmm. who, Hardware Zone Singapore, the HQ. They got back to me like I think a day or two later. And then I got the interview opportunity. I took a bus down the next day. Or was it a couple of days later, like the same week? Got down there one day, uh, did the interview, waited for my bus, got Guitar Hero 3 at the time to, you know, as a souvenir in case I didn't get anything done. <laughs> and went back home. And then I think days later, I just had to file in my HR details. And yeah, I got the job in Game Access Singapore. And 2008 onward, and then 2011 onward, it's me trying to get to... I actually got into GameSpot and right. then I did some freelancing after 2013 onward. I even got into game development at one point, but this is more on game journalism. So, mm-hmm. so basically after GameSpot, it was a hiatus after freelancing and
1: then Kakucho Pure. Right. So did you always, um, you know, growing up, want to be a video games journalist specifically? Or did you just say, okay, I want to do journalism. I want to do writing and and then, you know, go where the wind takes me. Of course, I'm guessing you were always passionate about video games growing up, playing video games and and things like that. Um, But was writing about video games something you always wanted to pursue or something that you stumbled into? Talk to me about that process.
0: Oh no, I wasn't really, okay, about getting into game journalism, Mm -hmm. no, that was never my first thought. Right. Because when I was in Canada studying, Mm -hmm. I was actually trying to get a job in the games industry as a developer, designer, as an art guy, as a production guy, or assistant, Mm -hmm. assistant or even QA. But I think it was just bad luck because a lot of the good jobs were taken. And then there was a job for me, working in the Asia-Pacific Post in Canada, right. I took that, but not as writing, but, well, as a writer, but as a layout artist and graphic designer, right? which worked out pretty well because I got paid. I needed money anyway, so I had to get a job. Otherwise, I'm back to Malaysia, you know? <laughs> so I did the job. I stuck around, you know, talked to a bunch of game developers, all that, but still no dice, no... No good hires, no good timing and everything. Mm-hmm. And plus, I was actually into the Asia-Pacific Post job while also learning the ins and outs of journalism, in a sense. Right. And at the same time, I was actually doing a free gig with Dark Diamond, the, the outlet I mentioned a while back. And yeah, I didn't get paid, but I was actually learning and I was doing some things that I never thought possible I could do. So I always did enjoy writing stories and everything back in high school. But... I guess it just translates to me just enjoying writing and then eventually hey why not I just talk about games why not I just cover make a story out of why I love game A or game B like Okami or anything Capcom or Street Fighter related and then after Canada again like I mentioned earlier on I tried to apply for a job and then I got the Game Access gig Mm -hmm. and I guess it just fell onto my lap in terms of like me doing game journalism because my original intent was to actually just do game design but Writing was kind of in me because I guess it helped because my mom was an English teacher at one point right. and she did let us let us read like books like Animal Farm or
1: Tale of Two Cities, anything Charles Dickens related. Let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Jonathan Toya, content director at Kakucho Pore. We will continue this discussion after the break. Keep it here on Redefining Success BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Jonathan Toyat, video games journalist at Kakucho Pore. He's the content director at Kakucho Pore as well. So take me back to your childhood. Um, the moment where two points in your life. The first point where you fell in love with video games, and the point where you realized that you wanted to be part of the video game world. Um, as a career, um, in, in any capacity as possible, um, um, you know, down the road. Take me back to these two points.
0: Um, I believe in primary school, I my dad actually got me a Sega Mega Drive. Mm. And I guess the rest was history. <laughs> I was in love with Sonic the Hedgehog and Joe Musashi from Revenge of Shinobi and Axel Stone from the Streets of Rage slash Bare Knuckles series. So I guess it just because of how it looked, how the 16-bit graphics just speak to me, I just ended up being enamored. And I wasn't really a sociable kid back then. So I guess that was what spoke to me. And then, Mm. true enough, when I was in primary school and high school, I met other kids who had the same interests. We even had conflicts because of the same different interests as well. Because I'm a Mega Drive kid. They're a, uh, I guess, Super Nintendo kid, and I guess the playground fights were actually true, right. except it wasn't really a play. Cl- it wasn't really an American playground. It was more like you know, like the side of the road with all the cars lined <laughs> up, double parking, and whatnot. I was, I even actually opened up my mind and I actually went back to seeing Nintendo games. So I also right. fell in love with characters and games like the Mega Man series from Capcom, or Street Fighter Two in the arcades again <laughs> from Capcom. Right. So it just spoke to me because of how. Immersive these walls get by telling by by saying so little but showing and proving more like gameplay is what matter That what you interact with More so than movies that you've watched in cinemas, right? So I guess that is what actually drew me to I guess it was probably primary school with the mega drive and everything mm-hmm. that just got me into Video games as a whole now that point in getting into the industry Again, by accident, but I believe it happened in 2006 when I was in Canada. Or was it? Okay, sorry. 2007, during that time when they had Penny Arcade Expo for the first time in Seattle, Washington. I attended the second one, and there was actually a panel with this group called OneUp.com. Unfortunately, they're defunct, and all the writers all went on to different production houses here and there. But these writers, they actually gathered up together to talk about their love of video games and also making fun of them on the podcast show and for so many years. This is actually the podcast I used to listen to while I'm doing work at Asia Pacific Post. Mm-hmm. So I guess because of their personality and the fact that doing this can come off as like easy but hard at the same time. And then me showing up for the live shows at uh, Penny Arcade Expo about 2007. That was when I was like, yeah. I think this would be something I would like to venture in if this whole game design thing doesn't pan out. And true enough, because of the whole 1up.com podcast work and me getting inspired by those writers, I just ended up... I guess that's why I went up... Ended up uh, applying for Game
1: Access in Malaysia and subsequently in Singapore. You know, when you make videos for Kakucho Poré, even in your writing and all, you need a lot of creativity as well. I want to... Did video games impact the way you imagine the way? Did it expand um, your horizon in terms of um, creativity and 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 the way you express yourself as well? I believe so because every time when I pick royalty
0: free music for the videos I do, I try to look for the '80s synth stuff that try to right. sound a bit more <laughs> pixel like. But generally, I get my inspiration for video editing everywhere. Like, from mm. music videos from the 80s to 90s. Transitions from movies. I guess Star Wars is one good example. right? And then as well as, like, uh, Martin Scorsese films or anything that Wes Anderson or Edgar right? Uh, the Baby Driver... Edgar Wright. Yeah, Edgar Wright does, yeah. yeah. I was about to say Edgar wrong because of the, <laughs> Scott, the, movie, the show that came out. But yeah, you're right, Edgar Wright. And generally, yes, I like... Again, I get inspired by everything. Even when games get more cinematic in the aughts and in like the PlayStation 2 era with Metal Gear Solid 3 and other titles from in the HD era like from the Bioshock guy, Ken Levine and whatnot. Right. Yeah, that's how I also get inspired. Like uh, how this gets presented one way or the other or finding classical music that would fit with particular video game tropes or what the subject matter that I talk about. So I guess, yeah. It's not just, I mean, yes, video games play a part of it in inspiring me doing editing, but it's also films and music videos and anything that I can find that's interesting on
1: YouTube in in this day and age. How were you during your schooling days, um, apart from, you know, those playground fights um, that you just mentioned? I'm You know, uh, did you get good grades? What were your interests and ambitions back then? Uh, and I'm curious to know only because, um, you know, I'm wondering what path were you on before you accidentally and, and you know, very wonderfully stumbled into, you know, what ultimately is your biggest passion, video games and, and the video games industry? Um, if you were not doing that, if you didn't accidentally stumble into this, what path were you on? Oh, okay. That would be interesting to answer. I believe uh, in primary
0: and high school, my Bahasa Melayu and moral studies were definitely terrible. Right. That's for sure. But my maths, at maths, also I did require some tutoring help. But once everything just clicked, I can get everything all sorted out from here. I guess my... Passion was definitely making essays when writing in English for English classes. Mm. History was interesting enough because of all the bloodshed and backstabbery going on with, you know, not our his- not just our history, but also history from the rest of the world, from the Greeks to Americas and the Europeans and whatnot. And I guess when it boils down to it, if let's just say video games did not enter my part of my life, I might end up just maybe talking about films or maybe just looking deeper into history and maybe take a take a boring job like curating museum artifacts, you know, because of the stories they give out. Or I guess I could go into movies. I mean, that was also another path in directing and whatnot, but I guess video games are more or less I prefer something a bit more interactive, hence video mm. games. But if not, I guess movies or making music would be another pathway I could I could go to. Because I did used to play bass back in the day, like right. some bands here and there, but not very well. But, and it's mostly <laughs> garage band stuff. But yeah, playing bass, that was also what I used to do before
1: I just fell out of it. So, so I guess video games actually took over my life overall. Life, right, that sense. right. That's amazing. Now, you are doing, um, uh, you know, essentially, you know, you're, you're pursuing your passion Um, you are, you know, not just writing, but writing about video games, creating content about video games, which is your biggest passion in life. Um, But people tend from the outside, sometimes tend to only see the glamorous side of things, right? You're, you know, you're you're doing your passion, and that's great. And, and life must be so easy in terms of your work and, and things like that. But Tell me about um you know the the kind of effort you have to put in um for for your work when you write when you create these video games um do your days especially as a, now that you you know as a journalist as well but also as a content director um do your days uh, do your days get stressful sometimes um do your days get grueling sometimes um talk to me about the reality of your day to
0: day. All right. So when I started at Game Access in 2008, I had to work really hard and Mm. take assignments like a champ, whether I'm traveling to America or Japan simultaneously back to back. There's also like sometimes you might get stopped by customs in America when you're actually traveling back and forth in the U.S. One time, I think I did get stopped by customs because of uh, what I do. But mm-hmm. luckily, I got through that. and managed to get my assignment done on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, for it was first for um, THQ, when they were still around, and then right. the second time was uh, for Epic Games, uh, pre-Fortnite. <laughs> right. This was for Gears of War at the time. When I was in GameSpot in 2011 onward, it was also tougher because I was th- I was sticking up with different angles when I'm not covering news because... You got other U.S. folks and European folks covering games for review, right? So I had to think of features. Basically, mm-hmm. it's actually tougher than it sounds. I have to find that niche. Luckily, I found that no one else was covering Japanese games or even Korean games, so I ended up becoming the GameSpot go-to guy for Korean and Japanese titles, especially right. Final Fantasy. Um, this was be- this was while thirteen was still around. I think my biggest pride and joy was answering all the questions during a GameSpot Tokyo Game Show live stream in 2011 or 12, talking about Japanese curing games while the US team looked at me with uh, inquisitive curiosity. Like we're talking guys like Maxwell McGee, Sean McGuinness, Peter Brown, and the guests of the time, Rush Fresh Stick, looking at me. It was like all my useless trivia is actually paying off, you know, right. in terms of me just looking at random Japanese stuff on YouTube and here and there. And, when, and then when we get to E3 and Tokyo Game Show, it's not like you are relaxing and taking it easy, walking around the show floor. You actually have to go for interviews on time, right. take photos, go to the war room to do videos on the spot, talking about what you saw and why you like it. You have to be doing things on the spot, so you can't afford to be camera shy, basically. Right. I was lucky enough that whatever I learned in Game Access, you know, not, not editing videos at the time, I was mostly just being a speaker person like the guy the front uh the host to bring the host i was reluctant at first i can i think my video editor at the time can attest to that but (laughs) i got over it over time and it was actually i'm comfortable doing this over and over and yeah i think it's just again with more practice anyone can do this again it all takes diligence and knowing what to do and maybe get inspiration from different actors and hosts like Conan O'Brien or Jay Leno or David Letterman on how to speak and also conduct interviews. And yeah, also, there's also like this whole Asia thing where GameSpot has different satellites. I right. actually had to also have to manage the social media platforms. So hmm. I felt like a one-man army. So whatever I have learned from GameSpot and Game Access and Hardware Zone, it did work well as being a content director because I can tell my writers what to do and what to focus on.
1: Right. Did you ever, um, in any point of your career in in video games journalism, um, need a day job to sustain um, this passion of yours? Well,
0: there's a thing they say about media, whether you're writing about games or covering the beats for a newspaper like Washington Post or BFM or The Star, where, yes, the pay is not as high as you think. In fact, it's lower than you think. But the perks do exist. I believe games journalism has that to that degree where the pay is pretty bad, pretty low. But again, if you're in a big company, the perks do exist in terms of like, oh, free junkets, free trips overseas to cover different beats here and there. Games that come in under the company's name and then having the consoles and hardware and everything that you get to use, the tools are all given and sponsored by the company and the parent company. Even going to video work, it's um, you kind of have to set everything up yourself and then also budget, the cost, and everything. But at the end of the day, it's usually the big companies like CBS Interactive or SPH in Singapore also Mm -hmm. covering the costs to what you do. Just have to justify it and make sure that the turnaround time for everything you do matches the costs. Right. And make sure that you're willing to work long hours. Because at the end of the day, all these video game news do pop up in the weekend, especially the events for esports. They happen in the weekend. You have no choice but to work in the weekend. If no one's going to cover your shift, you got to do it your own definitely. And it's even worse for a smaller company because you have to wear different hats, like I mentioned. like Just because you cover esports doesn't mean you're just covering esports. You also got to cover the Game Awards or level up KL or be in front of the camera for a short video that we can do on the fly really quick. So at the same time, it's all about being a multitasker, but it also makes you valuable as a hireable person because a pro tip, for this line of work is you're more useful and hireable as a writer who can do video and audio work if you can use wordpress on any cms know some html can do graphic design work and can edit videos and audios while doing your own setups at your workspace yeah you're very valuable in the long run
1: i think you bring up something very important and you talk about you know wearing many hats um, you know, and, and you brought up, you know, you, you need to be good at writing and then you're good at also making videos and, and be able to, you know, manage different things. Is that what it takes to be Someone, let's say, if I'm a person who's very passionate about video games and very passionate about journalism, and I say, you know, I want to write about video games for a living, or maybe you know, these days I want to make videos um, about video about video games for a living. Is that a financially sustainable career, especially in Malaysia? Because I think one thing um, interesting about you is that you built uh, your name um, in overseas um, Mm -hmm. and your experience. So when by the time you came back to Malaysia you already had um, a, a particular set of skills, you had um, a, a, your name, you had an experience, um, and all of that, right? What if you are someone who cannot go overseas and, and pursue? Because in the US, in Canada, um, you know, you have so many video games, um, websites, at least way more than we have in Malaysia. Mm, yeah. um, it is a much more mature industry over there. Um, can you... is it financially sustainable to be a video games journalist, especially in Malaysia, especially if you cannot go overseas to build that base? Well, here's the funny thing. Um, Because of work
0: from home structures and systems Mm -hmm. that had been established when COVID hit, I believe finding a job outside of Malaysia while in Malaysia does work in the long run. Again, you guys just got to make sure that A, you're good at writing. And telling a story that's what you had, that's what you can do by practicing and getting feedback from different critics here and there and telling you how to structure your stories right and then uh be uh be more adventurous in terms of your game preferences like if you just focus on action games you gotta open up your horizons a little bit especially with current trends happening you gotta be on the beat and know what's going on outside of your scope and outside of your comfort zone and also editing videos and all editing editing your audio does help too like, you don't have to be like a pro, like um, Danny O'Dwyer from Noclip. You just <laughs> got to be just good enough to run maybe Windows M- Movie Maker or any of the free programs right. like DaVinci and whatnot. And at the same time, you can apply for different jobs, not just in Malaysia. I mean, there are, we got a few companies here where you can just apply, but sometimes they're usually full up. Right. Or maybe they can't afford you, or maybe mm-hmm. they can afford you, but the pay. I mean, you 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 be an internship, and then it might be the pay might be lower than anything. Like I mentioned, right. that which is why when you build up your portfolio, i.e., through Medium or maybe Patreon or different outlets here and there. There's so many avenues you can start your own portfolio. You try to apply in other sites outside of Malaysia online, and that's where you and then you just talk. Also meeting up with game developers do help whenever there's level up and everything. So you try to get in, you covered your games and whatnot. And then again, you're gonna have to do this for free. So yes, you might need a second job to sustain that. But once you've got like a steady flow of work coming in for freelancing, you should be good. But at the same time, you are getting you're getting outside jobs from the US and Europe where the pay, the money coming in would be a bit more when you convert it, right? Right. So that would be more sustainable. Or worst case scenario be a content creator and get your journalism outlet out in video form and everything. Because like I mentioned, you're more valuable and hireable
1: if you do all these things. When you compare your, you know, where you are today, compared to, let's say, um, when you first started off, when you look at the the scene in Malaysia, do you see um, that it has grown um, over the years compared to where you first started? Um, Do you think that um, people today let's say if you're a student today with the same interests as you um, had you know with the same passion as you have and had when you were a student studying um, thinking of breaking into the, the video games industry do you think Malaysians have more avenues today to consider that as, uh, you know very realistically and pragmatically as a career um, compared to when you first started? Actually, yes, there are. But then I think the caveat is you
0: might need a second job in case. Like if you're doing full time in a company like maybe Media Prima, that could work. Hmm. Like as long as you're getting the articles out, you know what time your shift ends and then knowing when to work whenever a weekend event or a late night event happens, then you're golden because big companies have, you know, especially like something like SPH or, you know, in... Malicious case, Media Prima would actually have more health benefits, everything. Yeah. But at the same time, it is, um, if you don't want to work under a corporation, and I know people who don't, yeah, freelancing would be the way to go. But that mm. one requires a second job to keep it so stable. Unless you know, like, Washington Post or PC Gamer outside are willing to pay you a couple of thousand euro or whatnot just to get your feature out. So again, my. Situation was a little bit different, a lot more different, sorry, because I worked outside right. and, and to brought, brought my knowledge and everything and my know-how and my reputation and my skills to Malaysia to, you know, help out with Kakucho Paré and be what it is right now. And also, you know, start up main game. Right, But in starting things from the ground up, I don't know if that's even possible. Hmm. But it can work, but there'll be a much tougher journey that's filled with a lot of hell paving roads before to get to where I'm at, lah, in that
1: sense. Right. So you've been with K- Kakucho Pori um, for a few years now as, already, yes. right? Um, how has that growth been like for you? It's been interesting, to hmm. say the least. We find
0: out that, yes, making up your own media company, your content creation company is very, very challenging because mm-hmm. of again getting clients working with different clients yeah, and they're not just gaming but also like non-gamers and everything like approaching sponsorship and figuring out where revenue is coming from would be like the main things lah. and then creating content as well as you know catering to everyday pressures where things need to come out on a daily or weekly basis we because we know that we're a small company we just make sure that we just tackle whatever we can and whatever suits our interests mm-hmm. we don't throw you know paper like we don't throw darts on the wall and see what sticks right but then and the off chance that we do sometimes we just follow those darts wherever the direction leads and everything right. but at the same time um yeah we just have to know how to pick our battles and i believe the biggest undertaking was basically just making sure the tv show comes out <laughs> uh, for main game like getting those episodes coming out weekly for 13 episodes and then preparing for what's coming out ahead because TV scheduling require, like, what, two, three weeks leeway time, like uh, prep time and everything, especially with the approval and seeing what sticks and making sure that audio is clear and getting uh, your hosts on time to record live. And also, you also get sleepless nights because um whenever you get, like, a particular video game coming out, you need to actually get the content out or a big announcement happens in the middle of the night. You kind of need to touch upon that and see what it can go from there. Because, uh, I mean, the one thing about that's great about like running a small time company like ours is our times are flexible yes we're gonna we can have relaxing periods like maybe monday evening or monday afternoon where nothing and uh, nothing big is ever gonna happen or even like tuesday afternoon to compare to like maybe friday night where friday night a lot of things just pop up for no reason right so yes you're gonna have time for siestas or even resting or doing your daily activities or your laundry but Sometimes when the weekend hits and then whenever there's a big event happening, you have no choice but to cover it. Because again, it's your obligation as a content creator and a reporter to make sure that there's
1: actually things to read that people will like and partake and enjoy. So like you mentioned, you know, I, I think you you did a really good job painting the reality of what it's like um, being in the industry Um, and it's great you're passionate about it but it's sometimes just not as glamorous um, as what uh, people on the outside think Um, and the pay is certainly not as high as what people on the outside think. But with all of that in mind, what is it that drives you to keep doing what you're doing? For Kakucho Pare, it's my passion and love for the games industry, Mm -hmm.
0: games in general and what we can do or what I can do or what everyone in my team can do to enrich people's lives talking right. about what we love video games mm-hmm. I love talking about my favorite game soundtracks and why they tick even though those videos don't do as hard compared to maybe a highlight reel of a character in a particular animated video game inspired show right? or in a comparison piece I love talking to game developers about their work and why they do what they do even some esports players well at least in Gamespot and Hardware Zone it was easier for me to talk to different artists and different directors i wouldn't be able to talk to folks like cliff lezinski will Wright, K.G. inafune yoshinori kitase nobuo ematsu and many other luminaries in the game industry were not for my game journalism job mm. and how hard i have to work to do the best work i can under pressure and deadlines that's also another thing i should add yeah you have to respect deadlines and also the embargoes given to you like You got to learn to keep a secret and also adhere to deadlines. No such thing as doing things last minute in my line of work. Mm -hmm. So if you don't like deadlines, this isn't the job for you. (laughs) So I'm very thankful for all my bosses back in the day to put so much faith in me in keeping secrets and also adhering to deadlines and being very, I guess there's a word for it, very kanchung about, you know, getting things (laughs) done on time and getting it proper and whatnot. And we have an upcoming season 2 for main game like i mentioned so we look, and that's also what drives me to make sure that this TV show keeps that same standard as we did last season and but also better at the same time and just making sure that we can touch different topics that we find interest in that helps resonate with different audiences like especially the mainstream audience like i can't wait to tell these guys and all the t- people watching TV about company A or company B or my favorite developer and why he has a huge legacy in the '90s and the '80s. So, and also presented in a very entertaining light. So, right. again, I guess movies do help in and music videos and TV shows do help in me editing these things to present it in a very entertaining and
1: insightful fashion. So, after doing this for many years, what has been you know one of your favorite memories or proudest moments um, being in the industry? I guess there's quite a number, actually. Mm.
0: I guess it was um, interviewing those people I mentioned, Cliff right. and Will Wright and all that, like talking about what makes them tick. Even Peter Molyneux, who is a notorious liar, at the time when I interviewed <laughs> him about Fable, Fable 2, and Fable 3, right. he was a very passionate person. I don't know what happened down the line, La, but at that time, it was great. It was great talking to him and Ian Livingstone and a bunch of other luminaries and experts, and even characters like Nobuo Iematsu, who made music for Final Fantasy. And yeah, it was great. I think my most memorable moment was actually just partying with my GameSpot pals <laughs> when when we're done wrapping up e3 after a hard day's night knowing that i can there are like-minded people like me who are just as nerdy and awkward as i am <laughs> but also cooler in different aspects too right. and learning a lot about how they do their work and you know talking about our favorite music and everything i mean yes we it's hard to keep in touch right now because they're doing different careers and they're i'm making sure my company runs just great mm-hmm. and premium and proper But at the same time, I will cherish the memories I have with my Singaporean brethren in Hardware Zone, in Game Access and GameSpot, because they taught me a lot, shaped me who I am as a person, as a content creator, as a writer, journalist, and now
1: content director. Before we wrap this conversation up, what advice would you give someone, um, perhaps a listener, who's who's thinking, you know, I want to be like Jonathan Toyad one day? First off, you have to
0: be flexible and multi-talented in writing, podcasting, video editing, and more. If you're not... I mean, yes, you show passion, but you also got to make sure you got the skills to back it up. So yeah, practice makes perfect. I wasn't even that good a writer back in 2006. But now, I think I'm pretty confident about my skills compared to maybe 2006 and 2007. So again, a little bit of practice goes a very long way. And there are successful game journalists from Malaysia who can... Basically, I think they just got their... Start from outside and then eventually come back to Malaysia. So I guess traveling overseas, if possible, can help. And you also have to take initiative. Start your own YouTube channel or medium blog posts with a crowdfunding site of your own with a side job uh, to help you get stable, to get the ball rolling. You also have to network. It's a small world and people talk. So whenever you can you have it, whenever you get an opportunity to talk to developers or like-minded media and whatnot, you just try to get your foot in the door, talk here and there, be nice, courteous don't be a douche, I guess. (laughs) You know, like, again, like a small world. People talk and they, it's a small world, basically, and you don't want to burn bridges. Hone your craft. Play games beyond your favorite genres. Open your mindset. Get inspired by media outside of gaming, like with music or films or TV. And most importantly, just remember why you're writing about games in the game industry. It's never about the free stuff. If you're doing it solely for the free stuff, get out. We don't need you. If you're doing it to get your foot in the door in the industry, that's fine because I did. Mine was the reverse, but you know what I mean. A lot of respectable writers do this. It's normal. Just don't forget your roots and how you got there in the end because at the end of the day, you might go back to your journalism job and who knows? I mean, you don't want to burn bridges in the end. It's all about passion and love for the industry and sharing that love outside to other people. And most importantly, you can be critical about it because... The industry can do so much better it can because it can do better. So you want to be that person who is not only about loving it, but also being critical so that other people can improve
1: better so you can love it some more. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. That was Jonathan Toyat, a video game journalist and a content ter- and the content director at Kakucho Pore. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, Spotify, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan and this has been Really Finding Success, BFM89.9.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station.